Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. I guess this is sort of our holiday edition, so to speak. And uh, at the end of the year, we uh, uh, will be looking at uh, the American Red Cross and uh, how the American Red Cross has been affected by the COVID-19 situation, the pandemic that we're in. And uh, we welcome back a very frequent guest on our series of programs, Barry Porter. Barry is the Regional Chief Executive Officer of the American Red Cross, the Triangle Area Chapter. And of course, he speaks for the uh, American Red Cross organizations all across the state when we talk about the problems, because whatever problems we're having in the, in the uh, area that Barry serves are also being uh, encountered by those in the other areas of the state. Barry, welcome back to the program. Thank you again for all that you and the American Red Cross do uh, in regard to helping out. And of course, it's a varied program. And and uh, we were talking just before the program began. So I guess one of the, the first things that you are always recognized with is the matter of blood bank, uh, the blood bank. And uh, we have uh, a unique situation going on now. We have, first of all, we have... Uh, a number of people with COVID-19 uh, as a as a problem. Are, are, are these people actually affected and need blood, or is that not necessarily the case? Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, Don, typically one wouldn't think that a person would need a blood product uh, when you get a viral infection. Uh, but in this case, uh, back in June, uh, maybe actually uh, May, the FDA issued a emergency protocol for the collection and utilization of what is called convalescent plasma. That is plasma that we are collecting from people fully recovered uh, from COVID-19. So uh, since that period of time, we've had donors across the state and across the United States who we have been uh, seeking out uh, because they have had the virus recovered from it and their body produces antibodies. That fighting factor of your body, when it detects a foreign substance, the body creates a reaction and these individuals have been able to fight off this uh, coronavirus and recover. And what they have seen is in previous uh, pandemics uh, and other times, the collection of plasma from healthy individuals who've recovered and no longer have symptoms uh, has been uh, shown to be an effective treatment early on for people uh, fighting the, the virus. So we've been collecting uh, donations uh, in about 167 centers across uh, the U.S., but about uh, 27 locations here in North Carolina, uh, asking people to come in. It's a, it's a longer process than a typical blood donation, Don. It's, um, you come in and you um, go through all the same procedures as if you're going to donate whole blood. You have to be screened, you have to be healthy, you have to take a health test, but you then sit on a machine that only takes your plasma and gives you back your red cells. So these uh, donors who are helping these patients are sitting on a machine for about an hour and a half, about 90 minutes of having their blood circulate through the machine, collect enough plasma to give it. And right now, uh, we anticipated uh, the second surge. Uh, the medical professionals were telling there would be this second surge. So they uh, asked us to stockpile uh, because plasma can be frozen. Uh, it is 95% water, and so the antibodies can be frozen. Uh, and now we see actually we are shipping more product to the hospitals because of this second wave than we're actually 
uh, seen come in from donors. So the inventory, if you will, is, is declining. So we really encourage folks, if you're out there, you've recovered from, uh, com, uh, pla- uh, excuse me, from the virus, from uh, COVID-19, and you're healthy enough now to give blood, to consider going to redcrossblood.org and scheduling a plasma donation to help someone else. Well, I guess this is sort of a good news, bad news situation because as the number of cases go up, so do the number of people who are recovering. So I yes, guess you're, exactly. you're uh, in a way, uh, your, your supply of potential donors, uh, ironically, is going up. Yes, exactly. If folks would just realize and then make that commitment to say, hey, I battled this disease. I got over it. Uh, and I remember watching a video just a couple of weeks ago of a nurse uh, an emergency care nurse, and she went on camera for us and told her story of, of um, really getting the virus while she was caring for other patients, now found herself being cared for in intensive care, got the convalescent plasma, and she attributed it to um, the reason she recovered. So it is an impact. It's one of many treatments that physicians are prescribing and that hospitals are ordering, but this one comes not from chemicals. Uh, or chemical compounds or frozen temperatures with what we've heard with the vaccine. But this is one person who recovered giving to another and saying, hey, I got over it. Maybe my plasma will help you uh, as well. So we hope to encourage, uh, like you said, a growing number of people who are recovering to consider giving plasma at a Red Cross Center. So how many uh, uh, many units, uh, I guess you refer to this as a unit, uh, how many units have you collected so far in North Carolina? Um, my guesstimate is, um, I'm going to do some math in my head here. Um, I know that overall, the American Red Cross across the nation has uh, done about 120,000. So we probably have collected about 6,000 of those uh, in North Carolina uh, because we are one of the larger blood collection states for the American Red Cross. So about 6,000 units. Overall, the goal by uh, March is to have recruited 200,000 donors. Uh, as a part of the convalescent plasma strategy that the hospitals and Operation Warp Speed, which you might have heard about through the federal government, that's our partner in this, helping us to get the message out, come donate. And so well over 6,000 donations in North Carolina alone would be my estimate, and I know it's over 120,000 nationwide. Now, where uh, where will you have to go if you are a uh, recovered, uh, recovered victim of COVID-19, fully recovered? Where would you go uh, in North Carolina? Or, uh, I, I guess, as you said, it, this is a longer procedure, so you can't just set up the bus. So. Yeah, exactly. You're right, Don. Uh, this is this is a fixed site location where we have these machines. They these machines are very expensive. They cost about twenty five to thirty thousand dollars each. They are also used to collect platelets, and so we have to balance collecting platelets for people with clotting and blood disorders and cancer with the collection of. Uh, the convalescent plasma. So these are in fixed site locations here in the triangle uh, area. We have them in Durham. We have them in uh, two locations in Raleigh. They're also in Wilmington, Green, Greensboro, Greenville, Charlotte. So you would go to one of those locations. That's the other challenge. Now that people have to recover, know they've recovered, sign up and then drive to a location because these machines can't just be put in the back of a you know car and driven out or to a van and driven out to a location. Uh, they have to be maintained in a, in a fixed site. So that's the additional challenge to this, but it's just been amazing both for this type of donation and whole blood donation that the American people are stepping up wanting to help in the midst of this pandemic. Well, I was going to ask you also, now you've got your regular donations, your regular blood bank. Uh, 
has uh, that has the virus slowed down the number of volunteers and the number of opportunities that you have for collection of that? Well, you know, initially non-hospitals slowed down in the demand for that product in um, March and April uh, because it was a new situation and hospitals were trying to grasp with what they were dealing with and understand what the needs were. They were postponing other surgeries and activities and blood demand dropped. Uh, and so did the ability for us to go collect it at schools and churches and businesses as people went home under the stay-at-home orders. But we found then by mid-May, blood demand went back to normal across the entire United States, across North Carolina, and we had to ramp up that message of coming out to us. So now our message is come to us rather than us coming to where you work, live, or play uh, or study with universities and colleges and schools. And so it's been a, a real testament again to the American people. We've changed the locations. We've added new drive sites, but the American people are turning out. And in particular, then in June, we started offering antibody testing to tell people if they had been exposed to the uh, coronavirus uh, and had produced those antibodies that we were talking about earlier for plasma. And they came uh, out in record numbers uh, to find that out. So that was a, um, a good recruitment tool. We are still doing that test for people. So we will have that test until mid-March at least. So you can come and donate whole blood uh, at a various location. It takes about 45 minutes, not the hour and a half. You can donate that uh, blood donation and within about five to seven days, you will get back information about whether or not you've also been exposed to the virus. So a, a great turnaround and a give and get kind of exchange uh, beyond getting a T-shirt and a cookie and a you know uh, glass of orange juice. But you still get the cookie. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, Cook uh, and the cookies are always just to encourage you to drink because you've given up fluids, right? So you give somebody, uh, what is it, give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk to go with it, if you know that story. So I'm sure that you're taking every precaution to be sure that while people are there donating that they are safe and uh, you're taking all those precautions as well. Yeah, that was a big concern. Uh, we actually even got the First Lady of North Carolina to come back in April and help to show that if you came in, you were getting screened, you had to have passed a series of tests before you can get into the building or wherever the drive is, have to have your temperature taken. And so most people are coming to us are healthy, right? As long as they know they've not been exposed to the virus, they come in the door. Then we've got cover, distance, and clean. Uh, what is it? Uh, weight, wash, and wear or something. All these different ways that people are talking about tracking it. We wipe everything down. Everything's plastic covered. People are six feet apart. Uh, and we are really appreciative that we are keeping our staff, our volunteers, and the donor public who comes in to give a life-saving donation of convalescent plasma or whole blood or platelets for area hospital patients who are going to maybe spend their Christmas uh, in the hospital rather than at home. So where's the best way for a person to get uh, the information they need now to know where to volunteer? And uh, I I'm sure you've got a website that is covering this. Yes, it's, uh, there are two. Um, the first one is simply redcross.org, and it will get you to the blood donation or to volunteerism uh, with the American Red Cross. Or you can go to redcrossblood.org. So simply redcross.org, Don, or redcrossblood.org. You'll get to the same location, find out ways to uh, donate bl uh, blood and plasma, how to schedule an appointment. We really encourage appointments at this time to get people uh, in and out the door and keep them safe.
Our guest is Barry Porter. He's the regional chief executive officer of the American Red Cross, and we'll be back to talk more about uh, how the Red Cross has been affected in its various functions by COVID-19, and we'll do that right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Barry Porter. And we spent the first segment talking about the uh, the collection of blood and the uh, especially the new uh, charge that the American Red Cross has of getting the uh, uh, the situation where the uh, platelets are being taken uh, for the treatment of COVID-19. Of course, they also have their regular work in collecting blood for the, the normal functions that they have been serving for years. We want to turn to some other uh, areas, though, that the American Red Cross works in, and because, uh, for example, uh, disaster relief, uh, and disaster relief sometimes we think of as hurricanes and floods and tornadoes, but I guess uh, one of the things that you work on year-round are uh, individual disasters such as fires, and I think you had one this, uh, this week. Yeah, exactly. On average, um, this uh, past week, we've had six families a day losing their homes to fire. And back uh, on Thursday before uh, this program aired, we had a major fire in the Fayetteville area where there were 37 individuals forced from their home and living in an apartment. And so that's the that's the day to day work of the American Red Cross. Folks think about, like you mentioned, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, but um, more often than not, uh, about 60,000 times a year across America and about 3,300 times here in North Carolina, we show up alongside the fire department. Our volunteers get up like they did uh, this week in the middle of the night, go to the fire, stand alongside the fire department. The fire department saves lives and properties uh, as much as they can, roll up their hoses and drive away and the family is left uh, in the hands and the loving arms and care of the Red Cross. Now, with COVID-19, that has been a challenge for us because, you know, you got to stay six feet apart. Do you go? How do you go and provide safety and care? You don't know anything about the uh, family when you pull up to the 
fire scene? Uh, can you provide them with, you know, the PPE, the protective gear and all to still make sure that you can meet their needs of emergency food, clothing, shelter. And so for fires, it's a little easier. It was a big challenge for us this year in the midst of a very, very busy hurricane season. Now, uh, yeah, the hurricane season didn't affect us as much in North Carolina, but but uh, just as always, when uh, we have situations and folks come in from out of state, we also send people to out of state locations when they have disasters. I guess that was uh, very difficult during this period of time. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Our first concern was working with our government partners. Remember, the Red Cross is a voluntary agency and not a member of the government, but we work hand in hand with our government partners to provide care, to think about sheltering, Don, and even in the um, a lesser hurricane season for North Carolina, but not for the Atlantic Basin as a whole. We had Hurricane Isaias come to our shores, leave some damage, and then spin off some tornadoes. And we couldn't put people in our typical congregate shelters. At least our desire was not to do that because you're putting people in a shelter. You know, you had the government telling us to not think about putting people in congregate shelters, uh, not having people within six feet of each other. Uh, and so we had to devise new ways of caring for families. Uh, and so we um, started working with hotels. Now that was positive for the hotel industry because people weren't traveling and they weren't being able to go. So we were able to work with a lot of vacant hotels and get good pricing, but it's still much more expensive to put a family in a hotel and support them than to put a 15 families in a, a school gymnasium. But our concern was worker safety, our, uh, our volunteers, and the client safety of exposure. So we put thousands of people in hotel rooms across Louisiana, Texas, Florida, uh, uh, where else? Uh, oh, in the wildfires. And so the Red Cross had more people uh, and it sheltered more people since uh, the first time since Hurricane Katrina uh, was the last time we had this many people have to seek shelter through the Red Cross in this hurricane and wildfire season. And we did the same here in North Carolina. And then you mentioned sending our volunteers. We had um, 217 volunteers who went to those locations, Don. I applaud them. They put on their masks, they put on the PPE, and they went and stood out directly interacting with clients, with families in need, when many other uh, organizations couldn't send their people. And we saw that gap uh, in those communities where other charities that normally could be there to help also with recovery weren't there. So just from our own uh, area, over 200 uh, in Eastern North Carolina and another about 170 in Western. So almost 400 North Carolinians went to Florida, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and the wildfires, putting the, themselves at bit at risk, right? With this uh, pandemic of exposure, but knowing that there were people uh, needing assistance. Were you able to get enough PPP, uh, uh, the protection equipment, uh, uh, or was that uh, slow coming? You know, initially uh, it was uh, difficult, but also keep in mind because we know of circumstances, the Red Cross had a, a stockpile initially uh, of um, the high grade N4 uh, ones, but they were also in warehouses across the country. So the challenge was getting them distributed and then trying to make a decision uh, you know, to, to assist other agencies who were on that front lines, hospitals and medical providers uh, as well. So it took a while to ramp it up, uh, especially, um, you know, in our blood collection. We see over 15,000 donors every day across America. 
And here in North Carolina, that's about 800 donors every day. And in doing so, our teams had to have more gloves, more masks and things. And it was a challenge initially, uh, but fortunately we were able to identify those suppliers and meet the need to keep both our volunteers, workers and the donors coming to us safe. Did you uh, develop a special training uh, for uh, these volunteers? Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, we had we actually had um, volunteers that had to take some new online training about congregate sheltering, what it was going to be like if indeed. And we did have to open some schools, some churches, uh, because there was just too big a demand at times to put people in hotels. As an example, there are no ho hotels in Bertie County, North Carolina. And so if you have 50, 60 people suddenly displaced, that you have to open the school. So we had to have our volunteers take new training. We uh, created, it was called, you know, uh, providing uh, mass care or sheltering in a COVID environment where they had to learn about PPE themselves, about disinfecting, about why six feet apart, what the shelter would look like, where you would put people who did present that said they thought they had been exposed uh, because you you know, have to still care for everyone. So it was a lot of training for our volunteers. They stepped up uh, to do it. It's been a changing environment. It's just amazing uh, what people will do to go ahead and help others when they have the opportunity. So online training, conversations when we did open the shelters, uh, working through each step and then working with our partners. I remember being directly in line and on conversation with uh, Mike Sprayberry, the North Carolina Emergency Services Director about how to handle uh, certain circumstances. And we were talking on a Saturday morning, trying to solve things for families and keeping them safe in this sheltering environment. Well, we have uh, great hope now because uh, vaccines are beginning to be distributed. And we know that hospital workers are uh, high on the priority list. I'm hoping that your volunteers are falling in that category. Uh, have you heard anything about that yet? Yes, we've been working on. Matter of fact, um, 32 states have recognized that the Red Cross is uh, should be uh, inoculating its uh, blood collection staff, those who work in collecting blood, and uh, to keep the blood supply supported. 32 states have recognized that. At this point, today, at the moment, uh, North Carolina has not recognized uh, that status as recommended by the CDC of us being in the 1A group. I understand that they they came up with a plan to work very clearly with uh, patient, uh, direct patient care, physicians, nurses, hospital workers, because it's a limited supply. So we'll be uh, working with the state in the month of January to think about how do we get uh, our healthcare workers, those that are providing this very demand heavy need for blood and convalescent plasma into the uh, vaccination program uh, and move that forward. Uh, so I always know that we can turn to our state partners and uh, partner with them in this circumstance, but right now we are still uh, in process as we move through phase one uh, here in North Carolina, and they address those critical needs of hospital uh, workers, those directly working with convale uh, not convalescent, but COVID-infected individuals, Don. Well, Barry, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that lots of folks are, are listening to the program have thought about volunteering in previous conditions. Uh, with with uh, all the precautions that you're taking and the extra training and the extra facilities that you are uh, providing. Uh, are you still taking on volunteers and are you having people come in to volunteer? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been uh, very interesting. We had some 
volunteers who stepped up when we, we, we created a seasonal readiness campaign because we knew it was going to be difficult to get volunteers. And some of our volunteers, Don, to be um, truthful and direct, is that they, they were in the higher risk category because they are retirees, many of them. They're over 60. They had some additional health risks. So we also didn't want to put them needlessly uh, at risk. And so we conducted a seasonal readiness campaign, asked uh, new volunteers to come and to step up, and then tried to assure them that uh, the steps we were going to take, the steps we would ask them to take, because when you say PPE, you know, that's personal protective equipment. Then there's personal protective action, meaning I'm going to wear the gloves that they provided. I'm going to wear my mask properly. I'm going to wash my hands frequently, doing all those things together so that we did bring in um, throughout the course um, from July 1 is what I can quote to you, Don, just in eastern North Carolina. We brought in over 670 new volunteers working in our blood program, working in our disaster program, working in hand in hand with our military down at Fort Bragg, as an example, a military hospital, those volunteers are Red Cross volunteers. You don't volunteer at Womack Hospital as a uh, medical volunteer, except through the Red Cross. So we worked with the uh, United States military and the U.S. Army there at Fort Bragg uh, to provide very critical care um, uh, physicians, um, pharmacy techs, and others to help keep the hospital supported. But we've been doing a good job and good to report that very few of our uh, volunteers have then contracted the virus that we can trace back to them directly working uh, as a Red Cross volunteer at the time. Our guest is Barry Porter, and we'll be back with more talking about the work of the American Red Cross when we continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that's just got me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers is Barry Porter. He's the Regional Chief Executive Officer of the American Red Cross. And while he is, of course, located in the Triangle of North Carolina, the things that he is talking about have to do with the entire state of North Carolina. And the Red Cross, of course, works effectively in every part of the state, every part of the country, and as a matter of fact, every part of the world. Uh, Barry, uh, 
I'm sure that uh, we, we, we spent the first segment talking about the uh, increased need for blood, and we'll go back to that a little bit in the final segment. And then we spent some time talking about the other areas uh, that the American Red Cross takes care of, such as uh, taking care of those who have had fires or personal emergencies. But all of this takes money. And, uh, of course, uh, with uh, a lot of people now faced with uh, different economic situations because of the COVID-19, how are your donations holding up and how's your funding working out? Yeah, that's a great question for a lot of not-for-profits, right, Don, across yes. the country who are trying to meet increased demands for food, uh, for shelter needs, for um, utility assistance, all of those things. And so we are right there with them as an organization still delivering those programs and services to meet the needs to sustain life. Our mission is to prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies. And emergencies haven't stopped in the midst of the pandemic. Fires still happened. Hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding still happened. People still had car accidents, though driving was down. People still battled cancer and all of the things that uh, are required to go through treatment for that that require blood products. And so we have been at work, uh, very committed to delivering that mission and yet trying to raise the dollars to deliver the mission. And earlier, Don, you know, we mentioned we talked about the antibodies for the testing and that we launched that. And that was a good recruitment tool to get people to come in and find out could they possibly have been exposed to the virus? Do they have the antibodies? That's what we were testing for. Uh, but that test uh, was about a $7.50 increase in cost for us. And that's um, $3,750 a day in Eastern North Carolina, or about $8,000 across the state every day to provide that test. We didn't have the funds. We don't get reimbursed by the hospitals for those expenses. So we've been trying to raise money uh, to support the test. Uh, so for as little as $7.50 donation, you can help us do one more test of a donor tomorrow to make sure that they um, are safe to give blood and that the antibodies are present. So we're doing those kind of things, adding cost to our operation and still doing the operation. Earlier we mentioned uh, putting people in hotels as being more expensive than putting them in a school shelter. But it was essential that we do that and provide families with care. And yet we know we spent probably 25 or $30 million uh, additional above a disaster than we normally do. And Don, I can give, you know, I know that you um, through the Curtis Foundation have been a supporter of the Red Cross and you remember Hurricane Florence two years ago. And two years ago in Hurricane Florence, Across America, we received $69 million for North Carolina, and we've spent $69 million in re relief and recovery uh, by the end of January 2021, just another month out, and we got $69 million donated. In the floods and hurricanes this year, all across America and the wildfires, we only had $82 million in donations for all of those events. And so you can see the impact. You mentioned that economic impact of donations on corporations and individuals. Uh, and yet we were spending more money in providing relief to families. So it's been a very challenging year for the American Red Cross. Giving a gift to the Red Cross is an effective delivery of a mission of preventing and alleviating human suffering. And we hope that uh, we can encourage folks to go to redcross.org here at the end of the year, click on that donation button, 
uh, and give $5, $10, $100, all of those donations add up to helping us to deliver the mission and not stopping because, again, emergencies have not stopped in this pandemic. Well, it's, uh, and of course, you have the, we were talking earlier about uh, personal uh, fires and residential fires. When someone's home is destroyed, you go, you rush to the scene and you have to provide clothing, housing, and so forth. And uh, that also is a part of your budget. Yeah, absolutely. And across uh, North Carolina, we spend about $3 million every year buying food, clothing, and shelter for families who lose that home to fires. And you would think, well, what about their insurance? Well, Don, most fires don't happen in um, the right neighborhood, if you will, the neighborhood that could afford it uh, because of conditions of how people uh, cook or overload their uh, home. Or the home is older and has more conditions. Fires tend to hit the families and the communities that can least afford the impact of a fire. And so I, I, I would guess that uh, during the winter, you have more fires because of, yes. as you said, the uh, the uh, requirement for people trying to keep their homes warm means they take more chances. And of course they use more electricity and probably more portable devices and things of that nature that, that uh, perhaps cause fires. Yeah, absolutely. We um, normally about in, let's say in July, we will see four fires a day across the uh, region and about uh, nine to 10 in the state during the winter months that jumps up between 14 and 16 fires a day. Uh, you know, oh, it's only four fires, but if you multiply that times 120 days of winter, uh, right, uh, or cold temperatures, you get a lot more families being impacted, Don. And so you're right. It's that time of year that we see this uh, called fire season in our vernacular and fire departments are called to the scenes. They get there. And what's wonderful is that these paid and volunteer fire departments that go to the scenes, they then call us. They call our volunteers 24-7. Uh, to be there, like the family we were talking, or the families earlier in Fayetteville uh, that we were talking about, from the 37 people displaced at one time, that was 12 families uh, in one day, and we averaged six families a day, uh, just in eastern North Carolina, about 10 families across the state. And so, getting to those families, providing care, and then beyond the direct financial assistance of food, clothing, and shelter that we pay for, Don is working with each of them in their communities. To bring resources you know in a large-scale hurricane you see people doing food drives and water drives and things of that nature to help but when it's a one family at a time in a small community you need to be an advocate so we also do good casework to bring resources to these families because 62 percent of the families we go to do not have insurance not even content insurance and now they're um, you know, working families for the most part, and they find themselves standing on the street, watching their memories and their household goods go up in flame, and then they need support. And the American Red Cross is that first agency. We're first uh, relievers, if you will. There's first responders, and we're the first ones to be there to provide relief. Has the COVID-19 situation and the pandemic uh change your uh, involvement with the military because the Red Cross, of course, has always had a long-term relationship with the military and with uh, the personnel in the military. You know, one of the unique things, Don, is that uh, our director for uh, services to armed forces programs, our emergency communication financial support, she actually deployed this year to Iraq, not as a member of the United States military, but as a member of the United States American Red Cross. And so she went to Iraq 
and was there from about the 3rd of February, and she was supposed to come back in August. Well, with the pandemic and the closures and things, she had to extend. They couldn't get replacements. And so she actually did not get back till middle of November uh, because of the, the impact of the pandemic. And so she was in Iraq. And a lot of folks from the 82nd Airborne out of Fort Bragg are uh, stationed in the Middle East. And so she was amazed with the number of the cases that here she was. She left North Carolina uh, to go help the military families uh, that were deployed to the Middle East and then getting all these cases from the families uh, in the military. Because if a crisis happened and an emergency happens uh, for a family while a, a service member is deployed, it's the Red Cross message of you need to come home. You've got this critical emergency. There's someone critically ill. There's been a death in your family. Those are how soldiers, sailors, and Marines and airmen get that message from the Red Cross. And so we had to continue to deliver those, had to do them more remotely. But it was just unique that Robin, our SAF director, who had deployed, again, as a Red Crosser to Baghdad for uh, most of 2020, then got to handle cases directly from North Carolina and particularly from a lot of members at Fort Bragg to, to assist them. The other thing that did have impact was I mentioned earlier working at Womack Hospital and working at Womack Hospital, uh, you are a Red Cross volunteer in the pharmacy, in the, the greeting area, in the uh, dental clinic. And so we had to make sure that those volunteers were meeting the protocols but assisting the hospital to stay operational. We did that also at Camp Lejeune and at clinics at uh, Seymour Johnson. So our volunteers, again, donned their PPE, their masks and gloves, and still showed up to make a difference in the lives of military families. Uh, but it has had its impact uh, on ways in which we can reach out and touch those families as well. Well, I want to get back to what we started with here in this segment, and that is a, a plea that uh, people consider the work of the American Red Cross in your end of the year giving. Uh, the work that you do is just, uh, it's, it's incredible. And, and it would fall back on uh, the over, uh, on the, the government to, to do these things, but you can do them so much better and so much more effect, uh, effectively and with so much more compassion. So again, uh, Barry, if someone wants to donate and, and, uh, uh, and we urge them to do so, how do they do that? They can send a donation to their local Red Cross and looking that up in, uh, online or uh, by, um, you know, uh, other methods, I suppose. But uh, 100 Pear Tree Lane here in Raleigh or your local Red Cross chapter in your community. Calling 1-800-RED-CROSS is another simple way to do so. Or simply going to redcross.org, redcross.org and clicking on the links that talk about donation. And in doing those donations, Don, you can direct it to your local chapter even online. It does not go up to the national organization. It will be local. Thank you so much. Barry Porter, the Regional Chief Executive Office of the American Red Cross, and we'll be back with one final segment. Uh, and we'll go back and review the, uh, the blood situation when we do that. And we'll do that right after these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. 
And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right, they can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Barry Porter, who has been serving in the uh, Triangle area as the Regional Chief Executive Officer of the American Red Cross for many, many, many years. I, how long have you been here, Barry? I forgot to ask since, you that. Since June 2004, my family got the blessing of moving to the great state of North Carolina from the state of Alabama. Well, uh, their loss was our gain, and we <laughs> certainly have enjoyed working with you. We started the program off by talking about the new demands on the American Red Cross for your, I guess, the, the part of the Red Cross that you're very highly uh, known for, and that is blood collection. And right now, you've got a double duty with regards to the blood collection during the COVID situation. Uh, explain that one more time. Sure. So you're right. Our first uh, priority is the collection of whole blood or red blood cells uh, and plasma and platelets. Those are the go-to products that have been in existence for a long time for physicians to order from the Red Cross and to put into the body of a person fighting an illness or uh, an accident. We've been doing that for years. Uh, But now in 2020, uh, with the FDA's authority, we have created a uh, a partnership to create um, and collect convalescent plasma. That is the plasma from donations of people who have fully recovered from COVID-19. They got the virus, they got over it, their body is producing antibodies. That production of antibodies is potentially a key to another person's recovery. And so they can get this transfusion of plasma from an individual into their body. It's now antibody rich with antibodies that their body has created to fight the coronavirus, and it goes to work and has been uh, proven, if given early on to a a patient in the hospital, an effective uh, treatment as one of many treatments against uh, the virus. So we're really excited about being a part of this. Our goal is to collect 200,000 donations across America, and about nine to 10,000 of those need to come out of the state of North Carolina for our hospitals to meet their demands for the patient products that we have. And so those are important uh, aspects of providing Hello, blood and blood products. And, I'm, and by the way, Don, while I'm on this call, I'm getting a call from the Red Cross asking me to donate blood. <laughs> so what a timely call is I was trying to shut my phone off during the interview. Uh, So I'm a blood donor, too, and I'll be scheduling my appointment. I'd like to encourage others to do the same. Join me in this life-saving effort. So if you have had COVID-19 and you are fully recovered and you would like to uh, help others who 
may have more serious conditions than you had, uh, then you are someone that uh, the Red Cross is very interested in hearing from. Yes. Uh, I think you told me that the process takes a little longer, uh, but uh, uh, I think, what did you say, an hour? It takes about 90 minutes, um, 90 minutes. From, the, from the actual process because your body is uh, going to circulate its blood through a machine. Uh, and that uh, through what is the uh, process of uh, cell separation will separate out your red cells from your plasma, collect additional plasma from you, put the red cells back. Because, again, what we're after is this straw colored yellow liquid, 95 percent water that now has this enriched concentration of antibodies that could fight off convalescent. I mean, excuse me, the coronavirus. And so we're going to collect those, put those in a bag test those just like every other blood donation to make sure it's safe to be given to a patient. Then a physician can order that for those patients and give. And, you know, one of the things I didn't stress earlier, Don, is that one person donating plasma will actually have that plasma donation broken into three parts or three equal parts. So I'm the donor. I came in because I recovered from convalescent or from coronavirus and COVID-19. I donate. And now I can actually have my plasma help three different COVID patients, not just one. It's not a one-to-one -one exchange. My plasma can be actually split up and given to three different patients and maybe touch three lives who are battling COVID-19. I want to be sure that we make it clear that you are continuing your regular collection of blood as well. So you don't have to have had COVID-19. No, that's right. You don't have to have COVID-19. And if you get a vaccination from uh, coming up in the months ahead here in January and February, you will still be eligible to donate blood. There's been some misinformation out there that maybe you'd be deferred for a very lengthy period of time. After the vaccine, if you're feeling well, you can donate plasma, platelets, or red cells, the things that we need every two seconds in America, Don, somebody gets a blood transfusion. So let's again give the uh, information about if you've had COVID-19, uh, how you get in touch with the Red Cross. Sure. So uh, there's a particular website, but first just go to redcrossblood.org or redcrossblood.org forward slash plasma. There's a registration there for you to indicate where, you know, uh, that you'd like to donate. Then you're going to get a call from a screener who's going to talk to you because we're going to validate that you truly had the virus, right? Because if we're going to hook you up to a machine, collect your blood, we need that plasma to be confirmed that you had the virus and are fully recovered. We get that uh, documented, schedule your appointment, put you in a chair for about an hour and a half. An hour and a half later, you get up going home feeling great and adding to the fact that you could donate three units of your plasma to someone in the hospital now battling that same illness. And again, we also urge you, if you are considering volunteering with the American Red Cross, they're doing special training. They will provide you with all the equipment, the PPE, and right. all the training to keep you safe. And of course, the ordinary work of the Red Cross continues, all the things that you normally take care of, the fire uh, disasters that individuals Military have. Program, and uh, even and, CPR and first aid training, Don, we're still teaching people life-saving skills. And I just learned of a lady today who saved her husband's life after getting her Red Cross training uh, back in November. He had a heart attack at home, and she saved his life because she'd taken that CPR training. So we're still doing that, too. I forgot to talk about that. I just sort of assumed that that might be stopping, but that's continuing, too. 
Yes, absolutely, because uh, there are requirements for people to have that skill and to have that certification. Uh, and so you have to have those classes. They're all socially distanced. Everybody only uses one mannequin, all the things that people would expect in this unique environment. But again, a part of the American Red Cross health and safety training to save lives with CPR, first aid and the use of an AED. Well, Barry, on behalf of a very grateful uh, public, we want to thank not only you and the paid staff, but all the unpaid volunteers who do such wonderful work for so many. And uh, again, uh, I, I urge people to consider a donation to the American Red Cross during this time because your budget's being strained. As you pointed out, you're putting up people in hotels at extra cost because of this situation. Uh, the uh, extra cost of the blood collection program and so forth is putting a strain on your budget. Yeah. So you can always use the extra money. Absolutely. And, you know, folks um, need to know that we are a trustworthy organization. We are transparent. We try to do the right thing. We deliver the mission every day down the street, across the nation and around the world. And the American Red Cross is a highly rated charity, but it's because of those volunteers. Our volunteers last year in North Carolina worked about 450,000 volunteer hours. Uh, just imagine if we were having to pay them, Don. So you can give a gift of time, money, and blood to the American Red Cross here at the end of the year, and you will touch lives, prevent and alleviate human suffering in your own community. Well, Barry, as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you. And again, thank you so much for your work, the work of the uh, staff, and also all of the volunteers. Uh, I remind it. you that the Carolina Newsmaker program comes in two different versions. If you've listened to the half-hour version, if you'd like to hear the additional segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear two additional segments. Or if you'd like to share it with a friend, you can do that as well. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on this same group of stations. In the meantime, during this holiday season, we urge you to drive carefully. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.